afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone, well, someone like me. Because, you know, there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily things that are soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bothering me. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, a casual front porch-style talk with a pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org. Or you can call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that number is area code 314-821-0850. Or anywhere else in the lower 48, you can call us toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Well, Bill, welcome back to the front porch. Hey, good to be back. Well, glad to have you here. i got to tell you, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's it's been kind of a strange few months, and it's getting stranger and stranger. And stranger. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> you know, twenty twenty is going to become a verb. You know, as in like I've been twenty twentyed. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a the general the the loose definition would be when um, a a whole litany of unexpected terrible events happens at the same time. That's being twenty twentyed. Oh yeah. So yeah. Well, I was. Uh, you know, September was an especially bad month for me. I had a, a, a relative, a close relative, passed away, and uh, some other problems. So I, I've been describing saying that if September had been a year, it would be 2020. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, too, you hear people say, "Well, I can't wait for this year to be out." Do you actually think that like viruses and and other sort of things uh, pay attention to the calendar and the turn of the page? I don't think so. So uh, uh, I don't either. Uh, I, I I expect I expect uh, January, February, March to be a continuation of more of the same. So yeah. Well, the more pessimistic side of me says, you know, this is not going to get better until maybe twenty twenty one. Well, 2022, excuse me. Yeah, well, it depends what it is. I mean, you know, take <laughs> take your pick of the it. Um, you know, we what, what have we got? We, we've got, we have, let, let's just kind of tick off the big ones. This is like the, the you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse kind of thing. So we, we've got, we've, obviously we've got this pandemic that's not going away. In fact, uh, this uh, this round seems to be more intensified than the first round, which makes sense uh, because we have more people uh, at the start of it. You know, uh, mm -hmm. last year at about this time, uh, we didn't we hadn't even heard of it. So there are probably maybe one or two people walking around with the disease. And, you know, now we have like tens, hundreds of thousands. So. So, yeah, so this is going to be it's, it's going to be a worse round. Um, hopefully we know better how to treat it a little bit, maybe so that the death rate continues to go down. It seems to be going down. Actually, death rate is not commensurate with the number of cases which you know if you you got to sometimes strain to look for good news yeah uh but you know pandemic wise this is not going away probably won't for another year or so um mm, civil unrest well that's kind of the background noise of our life these days so that's not you know political uncertainty oh yeah we got plenty of that oh yeah on. oh um, yeah oh you want natural disasters well you know you can always have an earthquake in california we've had a few or how about you know we've got so many uh so many tropical storms we've run out of names and we're using the greek alphabet now so oh, yeah you know, they're it, just crunching up the gulf coast like they're crazy. at zeta eta theta now you know so th that's kind of you know that's that's interesting 
And um, so, you, you know, choose your poison. But but none of these things are respecters of the calendar, at least Kronos. And uh, uh, all of them under the watchful eye of God, who knows best how to deal with these things. And uh, doesn't seem to run a lot of interference, but instead makes good out of everything. That's important to keep in mind. He makes good out of everything, even though he pretty much lets everything happen as it will. So... Yeah, but God, um, sometimes uh, the good might come, you know, many years after I'm gone. <laughs> well, yeah, no, good is a, good is a, of, yeah, it's, it's hard for us. We, we understand, like, perfect, um, because we, you know, we're all kind of like inborn Platonists, you know, so you're perfect, you know. Uh, but good is a really tough one for us because yeah. because, you know, in the details, sometimes it doesn't look so good. But but you know it's it's kind of in that the outcome it's 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 how the thing comes out in the end and you say oh good you know it's like God said at the end of every you know creative day it's good <laughs> he didn't say perfect he said good uh, you know and very good but yeah you know, so yeah we so we have there's there's just a lot on our plate right now we really do and you know I. Life is stressful enough as it is. We all have our everyday blahs and things and our deadlines and the, the trials and tribulations. But, boy, I, there's something that they call in the military a force multiplier. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, this, that's what we have run into here. That's a good, that's a good description of it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of insidious in how it affects us. I mean, I, I, I was thinking today... Uh, just looking at my own situation, how have I changed? Well, for one thing, I'm uh, snacking like crazy. I probably put on yeah. a few pounds, which is not yeah. good. We've all put on our COVID-20. I, oh, I yeah. call it body by COVID. That's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> or in my case, you know, and, and plus, you know, I, I do like my beer, and I probably had a little bit more than I should have. Yeah. Uh, that's, but, that's you know, it. I'll get up. For example, on a weekend, I'll get up and I say, okay, well, I got X, Y, and Z to do. I got to cut up those boxes, get them out to the trash. I've got to go refill the bird feeder. I got to pick up the dog poop. I got to go take the dishes out of the dishwasher, clean the new ones, put them in there. And But I'll do that right after I check something here on the Internet. Oh. Next thing I know, <laughs> yeah. It's getting dark outside. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't affect me. Uh, I lie. But, but uh, yeah, the... the that that is a problem. That is a problem. I think our our isolation, uh, even our isolation when we're with other people, we're you know we're behind oh, yeah. masks most of the time, which is you know was kind of cool for a while, but it's uh, losing its coolness factor fast. Though I'm getting used to it. It's just kind of you know the norm. I find it difficult to watch uh, TV where the characters don't wear masks. It's like man, they're not masked. What's wrong with them? You know. Um, but it's it's. Um, I personally, I, I I have found that that I am much uh, less patient. I'm not a patient person anyway, but I'm really impatient with people. Mm -hmm. um, prefer actually to stay away from people. I, I I I'm not a real peoply person anyway, but this has really exacerbated it to uh, a point that I really didn't anticipate. I, I really didn't expect. Uh, you know, I thought, well, maybe maybe you know, if I have to isolate a lot, then mm -hmm. you know, it would bring out a little bit of extrovert in me i'd, I'd like to seek out the company of people and i, I really don't i mean i it's <laughs> i really really you know and and I, I what worries me i think most and i'll be candid but it's it's just it's, i don't care uh about things nearly as much and about people nearly as much as mm -hmm. i once did well and, there's uh, real apathy i think uh, 
that's, yeah. that's, that's there's a numbness. In. It's a numbness, I think, that set, that yeah. sets in. You can only care about so much. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a, a phenomenon amongst uh, uh, emergency workers and rescue people known as compassion fatigue, where when you are put into emotionally charged situations, you absorb some of that, even though you're not like directly involved, you absorb some of that. And that's why um, law enforcement people that go to a particularly bad crime scene or uh, people like our medical people who have had to deal with an ongoing, ongoing pandemic crisis, you know, for months and months and months, um, or soldiers in the battlefield for that. But now nah, that's a little different. That's different. I'll take that back. But but uh, people who are like dealing with, uh, you know, constant, um, constant, uh, a constantly emotionally charged situation, uh, they themselves take on those emotions too, and and they become just emotionally numb. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a problem. So. It, it really is. Um, I know when I was uh, doing field reporting, uh, you, know, you become immune to certain things. We used to call uh, fire victims crispy critters or a bad yeah. uh, bad traffic accident was a hamburger helper. Yeah, it's a little coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. No, I I know what you mean because I mean if you if you absorb the full impact of that, uh, you you know you'll just you'll just crumble under the weight of it, mm -hmm. and uh, so. There's just a, you know, there, there, it seems it seems like there's a heaviness every day. Everything takes uh, three times as long as it should. Uh, you know, the lines are longer. They're spaced. Uh, you know, and it, it, there's just kind of this heaviness uh, to day to day life that that I find irritating to say the least. <laughs> no, I, I uh, know what you mean. It's, uh, for example, I I describe myself as a bookaholic. I am always, always, always reading. It's mm -hmm. not unusual for me to go through two or even three books a week. Right now, I've been reading the same book for the last three or four weeks. I got a library book that I keep meaning to return and I can't get myself out of bed to go to the library. Uh, you know, I've, I've even found my, I've, it's, I've even found myself uh not being not going to church a couple of times yeah Just... no, i know because because that's challenging too you know uh, i have to say and i've written this before somewhere that uh um everything seems wrong until i get to the house of the lord in this case our tent and uh and then it goes right um i do i do enjoy we have we have multiple services because of uh restrictions about the size of our gathering but those are the little bright spots in the week, and um, I I do enjoy and and rely on those. I lean on those really heavily. But there are some weeks where that's the only thing that goes right. And um, the other thing actually that goes right for me is is my woodworking. Um, ah, I I'm I you know I like to cook, I like to bake, and I still bake. I, I bake out of routine. Uh, for me, uh, it's just not a week if I don't make a couple of loaves of bread at some point. So, but. Um, my my wood shop's been very productive, uh, primarily because I work at home a lot now instead of going to the office. That's good and bad uh, because you know I kind of treat myself. Oh, I wrote a paragraph. Let's go to the wood wood shop for a while. Uh, oh, I made a phone call. Let's go to the wood shop for a while. So, but but you know I I'm it's like I'm working this bucket list of projects. You know, just in case I go down, I want to at least say I got this thing done and. Uh, but it's been a, a it's been a source of solace and and peace and you know it's not quiet unless you put your you know yeah. ear protectors on but <laughs> but you know there's kind of this there's order in that place uh, the outsider may see may see disorder but but there's order and 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 you know things work and 
and I've, been, I've been really in, enjoying it. And it's something that you're in control of. Yeah, that's. I think that's the key. That's 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 the key word right there. Control, because we have lost control over almost every variable mm -hmm. in our life. And and it seems like just when you there's one more thing you can hang on to, one more thread gets taken away. Yeah. Well, I and mean, uh, yeah. Well, you know, my my neighborhood. We're we're a relatively small neighborhood, and everybody waves at everybody else. And and you know, all the uh, campaign signs were for the other guy. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm always now in your in your neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> my, my neighborhood wasn't like that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure how to respond to that. I just I just avoid it like the plague. Uh, so gee, well, I didn't know you felt that way. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's that's not right. That's a bad thing on my part. <laughs> you know, it it should be the it should be the the starting point for a a a good long and amicable discussion. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I and observed, we don't have that anymore. And I don't want to go I don't want to go down the political road. Uh, you know, I think that they were still waiting for the white smoke to emerge from somebody's ballot counting thing somewhere to tell us that we have a new pope, but uh um the uh the, the the political process um it, it for me it's kind of sharpened a couple of things that the i'm just going to get it off my chest here and, and one is that uh you know the governing authority in in our constitutional republic is we the people uh the people that we choose by election and not direct election but by representative democracy the people that we choose are servants our servants public servants um they are not leaders they're not um, authority figures. They are not rulers by any stretch, certainly not kings and Caesars, though sometimes they think they are, but yeah. they need to, they need to have their little wings clipped every now and then. But, but they're public servants. And, you know, when I look at a ballot, when I look at a, you know, a bunch of names, you know, I'm asking, you know, who would, who, we're masters, we the people, not I, the citizen, we the people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's get that straight. Uh, you know, who, who best serves us? Who, who best serves the office that, that, that we're asking them to do on our behalf for our common good? And so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And then, you know, having that process work out, you know, however it works out, um, then, then I think we the people have to, you know, resolve to we're going to, like, you know, any good master, we're going to help our servants do their job. Because we are the masters and they the servants. And, uh, um, you know, when I vote, I'm doing my public liturgy. I'm doing my, my public work for the common good, for we the people. Well, I think and, that's, um, I, I understand that. I mean, when I, for example, if there's a, uh, if there's a tax issue or a bond issue on a ballot, uh, the first question I ask myself is, will this benefit me personally? And if the answer is no, I'm going to vote against it. Yeah, and and maybe maybe that's something to think about because you know there are things that don't benefit me personally, but are good for us all. Uh, and I call it the com. This is a common good, not the collective good. That's a socialist concept. But 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 the common good. There are things that you know. I don't worry about, for example, health care. I got a good health. I got a good health plan. But it's for the common good that my emergency rooms are not clogged up with people using it as a community health center, you know? And, oh, I saw and, that a lot when I lived in California. Yes. 
Uh, you know, you actually have, you better have a bona fide life and death emergency. Otherwise, you are in for a long wait. Not only that, but when you get the bill or your insurance company yeah. gets the bill, whomever, everything is inflated 10 times because they're writing off all the people using, you know, but when using I, the emergency room for when I was there, now, admittedly, community I've health been, center. Well, I've been out of California now for about 12, 13 years, but... Uh, uh, I, I had broken my hand, and I had to go into the ER and have that. And, of course, the huge weight and everything. Yep. But just walking through the door, just walking through the door, $1,600. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, just, just to get a seat. <laughs> it's like calling a plumber. It's 150 bucks right off the bat. Then we'll see if you have a problem. <laughs> But, you know, the, I think there are a lot of facets, and I don't think you and I want to sit at this juncture on this Friday, maybe down the road sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, talk about the nature of, of, you know, representative democracy and what it means to live, you know, especially biblically. What does it mean to live biblically in a, in a constitutional yeah. republic? Not under a king, not under a Caesar, mm -hmm. but in a constitutional republic. It's a little and, different dynamic. Yeah. But, you know... <clears throat> And it's I, not I a think, democracy. You know, I heard it described. No, not, not in the raw sense of that no, word. No, democracy is two wolves and a sheep discussing what to have for dinner. <laughs> well, you know, at, well, you know, at Wilhelm Lea, the Bavarian pastor who is instrumental in founding our Fort Wayne Seminary, uh, Wilhelm Lea uh, never came to America, uh, but, but he and Walther had a lively relationship. And... Leah was known for sending missionary pastors over to uh, the U.S. to uh, take care of the the uh, the German immigrants, especially on the Western frontier. He called them Deutsche Heiden, the mm. German heathen, you know, because they left their church membership and their baptismal papers back in the old country, and they just they they pursued the new life in the new land, and and so he was deeply concerned about that. But he, you know, he was sending people over over here to uh, minister to the the germans on the western yeah frontier. one of them was my great great grandfather there what as a recipient or as a minister as a minister really okay yeah so and uh but but where was i going with that oh you know leia was very suspicious of walther's notion of how a church should be run because walther uh you know in the place of like a committee a consistory or a bishop you know kind of used the uh, a democratic principle, so voters' assembly and, and synodical conventions that vote and that kind of stuff. So representative democracy, again, uh, wasn't, a, wasn't a raw democracy. It was a representative democracy. You know, in congregations, only males could vote, and they had to be 25 uh, in order to vote. Um, so not everybody who's a member of the congregation voted. And, uh, and same in the... In, in the um, in the synod, you know, each congregation was represented by a layperson and a pastor. That's it. So it's two votes per congregation. That was the synod. Um, but but, but Leia, from from the German viewpoint, looks across the Atlantic and he takes one look at that polity where people are voting, and he called it Amerikanische Pebbelherrschaften. Uh, translation: American mob rule. <laughs> so that's what that's what Leia thought of democracy. It's American mob rule, which you know, in a sense, that raw democracy it is. It's the tyranny of the majority. So if you can, if you can, by hook or crook, get your get your majority, you win, they lose, you get to be tyrant. See, and uh, uh, that's why Walter, by the way, never never followed the principle that majority rules in the voters' assembly. Uh, in fact, he says in his pastoral that, that sometimes 
the majority must give way to the minority for the sake of love and the unity of the congregation. Can you imagine yeah. that? Huh? Oh yeah, it makes it makes sense. Plus, you know, it, you know, if we were to vote on theological matters. We you don't and vote I, on I mean, theological. Have... The only reason you vote on theological matters <laughs> is to see who's in and who's out. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's not there's no voting on theological matters. No, there are. You, that's you can the thing, vote on it? the color of the paint or the rug or whatever you want. Well, other churches do. Other denominations do have votes on theological matters. Well, we do too. Yeah, I know. We we do theology by majority vote, but but uh, but that's not a good idea. Well, not entirely. Kind of pebble hair shaft <laughs> There are some things that are not subject to debate. And it, no. you know. <laughs> well, you can debate all you want. I think debate and discussion is really good because it's edifying and it, it kind of gets yeah. the issues out on the table. And I believe in adversarial governance, uh, even in the church. I believe in 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 not silencing opposition parties, but 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 hearing them out. They may be right. <laughs> or they may have a point or something, you know, but this ability to to see the perspective of the other and to to basically explain it. I, I like to say if you can't defend your opponent's position better than he can, you don't understand. You gotta you gotta listen harder. Mm-hmm. Oh see, one of the so. one of the best classes I ever had in high school of all places, it was a civics class. And uh one of the, our assignments was that we had to set up a debate team, and we had to debate items that uh, issues that we did not believe in. Right. Right. No, it's 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 a good exercise. Oh, it's in, great in, exercise in training your mind to to you know because the problem is that that everything is visceral. We just react emotionally to mm -hmm. to these things, and emotions will betray us every time. Uh, you know, we, we don't, the emotions are just not the way to go. We are rational animals. We use reason. And, uh, but, you know, we're talking about anxiety. I, I, I looked up a quote, you know, that I think is pertinent to the anxieties of our day, be they viruses or politics or natural disasters or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> my wife's trying to call me. That's what you're hearing. <laughs> So uh, anyway, but I, I have a quick paragraph. Do I have time for a quick paragraph? And maybe we can talk about it on the back end. Okay. Okay, I want to share. This is from a, a, a professor of mine, very dear to me, uh, Kenneth Corby, now with the Lord, sainted, uh, uh, from a, a book uh, entitled The Lively Function of the Gospel, which was a festriff for Richard Kemmerer. And the essay is entitled The Church at Worship. But there's this one paragraph I love. Uh, Corby writes, quote, idolatry is death, both now and forever. False gods devour their devotees, men who seek their lives in food and drink, in work and play, in religion or irreligion, are consumed by the gods they make and by the, quote, liturgy of anxiety that they offer those gods. They lose but never find their lives. This is not to say that idolaters have no dealings with God. He indeed deals with them, sustaining their lives in a particular relationship to himself. In fact, it is God's presence and activity which threaten men in these very points of contact with their lives. Anxiety in men is not groundless. Men cannot control their lives, yet they do not trust God for their lives. Anxiety is the liturgy of their idolatry. <laughs> Oops. 
That's and that's the thought that I was going to plant. You know, we're very anxious about many things these days. That's the liturgy of our idolatry. Our our gods are failing to deliver, and it's exposing that we do not fear, love, nor trust in God above all things. Ah. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, let's cogitate on that. I'm going to go hit our break, and we'll come back and discuss this some more, okay? Yes. Yeah. Friday, November 6, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsor, Lois Eckert of Redbud, Illinois. Lois made a gift to KFUO in loving memory of her husband, Reverend Leroy Eckert, on his birthday. His family is thankful to the Lord for the blessing that he was to them. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lois Eckert, for being today's KFUO Day Sponsor. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. We live in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. We listen to KFUO through the Internet. It's nice to listen to a church service going on here in the U.S., the music and the talk shows. It's been very uplifting, really encouraging. So thank you. Bringing the word of Christ to listeners around the world. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. You know, we're living in an interesting time. Even if you wanna find a way to give back, it can be tough because of the pandemic. But did you know you can actually volunteer virtually? You can make a difference for someone just from the comfort of your couch. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you thrive with purpose. So there's something called virtual volunteering. It's a trend that's been growing for years and it's more relevant now than ever. All you need is your phone or a computer and the understanding that God wants you to be a blessing to others. Most charities and churches need volunteers now more than ever. Do you have a special skill like writing or web design, maybe accounting? They would be valued by almost any nonprofit organization. And they're always looking for people to do basic office tasks too. Just think about the talents you have to offer. Chances are there's a need for it somewhere. So go ahead, be generous from your couch. When you give to others, your life will be filled with meaning and gratitude. Well, good afternoon. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor's in. Today's guest pastor is Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. And we are talking about, well, stress and anxiety and what is happening here and trust in God to maybe take care of this. Not maybe. He will. I mean, we know this. But we don't understand necessarily how he does that. And I think 
That, that, I think, is one of the things that we need to address. And, and I think you came a, close to it, that paragraph that you talked about, uh, where it almost likening everything to idolatry, whether it's too much of this, too much of that. And we, we lose the focus on what is truly important. And that is, is that God is in his heaven. We are Christ-centered. All of this will work out. I think those last the, the last three sentences really get to the point. Um, anxiety in men is not groundless. Okay, so there's a basis for our anxiety, just like anger. Um, I always tell people, don't don't sublimate anger. Certainly, don't act on it. In your anger, do not sin, says the Bible. But but follow it, follow the anger, because the anger is arising from something. And with anger, it's usually death. Something died. And and so part of our, our reaction to loss, and I don't mean just like, you know, a person physically dying, but I mean just just something something is lost. There's a loss. And one of our responses to loss is anger. Mm-hmm. Anxiety, uh, as Corby says, is not baseless. You know, follow the anxiety. What what is it what is it telling you about you when you're anxious? And the second sentence says that men cannot control their lives. That's the source of anxiety when you come to this this recognition that you you not only lost control, you never had control. You are not in control of your lives. And you don't trust God in the passenger seat. You know, you're like a fidgety passenger on a road trip. You know, telling God, stop here, turn there, turn, you know, and, and you, know, you honestly think you're driving, like, like shoving your foot to the floor, you know, the emergency, you know, the imaginary brake pedal when your wife is driving and, and she doesn't see the, the elk, you know, <laughs> yes. you know, you, you, know you, you hit, you hit the floor. Well, that's not stopping the car, you know, but, uh, but, but it's, it's this anxiety that is tied to the loss of, I'll put it this way, perceived control. And and see this is what a this is what a pandemic of an invisible virus will do to you because you don't even know where it is you don't even know if you're exposed to it you don't know how much of it you need to be exposed to you don't know if the other person has it or not see all this all this do not know uh, amounts to a loss of control now and then you're told you you can't go to work you can't have Thanksgiving with your family. You can't uh, you can't go to the movies. You can't do anything that you love to do. You can't go to church, or if you go to church, you have to stay sixty feet apart, or whatever. You know, loss of control, and and every little piece of loss of control uh, elevates anxiety. You know, you put your finger on it with me. Where do I retreat? Where do I go? The one place I have control, my woodshop. You know, I, I have finely tuned machines. I know what I'm doing. And by and large, the wood does does what I tell it to do, mostly. Okay, but, but even when it doesn't, that's interesting, you know. And I learn either how to work with it or how to control it. But I am in control of that little, you know, 400-square-foot universe. Um, and I think everybody has that. The kitchen, maybe. Uh, you know, one room of the house, your study, something, so, you know, your car even, you know, some people, uh, the garden, these are all places of order. These are places where we, 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 we exercise our lordship 
and and we feel in control. But everything else, look, the political world, it's out of control. It's totally out of control. Uh, you know, who <laughs> who can do anything against a hurricane or the earthquake <laughs> that just starts rattling? You know, you, you don't even see it coming. At least a hurricane, you know, sends a calling card. But, but you know, earthquake doesn't even, you don't even know it's coming. Yeah. Total loss of control. And that, that, that elevates anxiety. And then that last sentence, which I think is, the, is the, the kicker here. Anxiety is the liturgy of our idolatry. We put our faith, hope, and trust in the wrong things, and then we wind up being consumed by the very things that we put our faith, hope, and trust in. Hey. Well, Bill, you pointed out you've got your workshop. I've got... Uh my little office, my, my computer games that I play with and get where I'm in control of Europe and I conquer it, you know, things like that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I think that's why gaming is so much fun. There's there's an element of control. Oh, there yeah. An, you know. There's an element of, 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 of randomness. You know, there's dice that are rolled and, and you're not in control. That's one of the cool things about, the, you know, like this, this sort of the fantasy games is they recognize the kind of capriciousness of the universe that it seemingly operates by the roll of the dice, which is precisely where God likes to hide himself <laughs> you know well, well are these escapes that you and i have uh, is this something that god has given us and has given people is that no matter how bad things get no matter what the anxiety is there is an area where you can you can exhibit control that'll take your mind away from the uncertainty and the uh, and the anxiety of life well, I, I think more than it's not really an escape. Uh, what I think it is is you know go back to Genesis one. For me, Genesis one is is foundational theology and everything. Um, and and what's man's role in Genesis one? He's image of God. He's the priest of God to creation. Uh, that's kind of fleshed out in Genesis two, where you know his temple, his sanctuary is the garden. And, and he presides as priest there, you know, the altar is, is the center, life and death, you know. But, but it's our priesthood. And in our priesthood, says Genesis 1, we have dominion. We have lordship over creation, and we are to subdue it. We're to bring it into order. So I think we have a natural impulse to do that. We have a natural impulse to... to um, have dominion over the forces and to subdue them and to bring order because that's what God does. That's the, those are the kind of, those are the basic works of Genesis one ordering and separating and naming and, you know, but that's, so we we're doing God work because we're his, we're his vice regents, we're his deputies, we're his priests. See? And so it's a priesthood. I, I think when, when, you know, when a guy goes to his garage and rebuilds his 63 Porsche, that's a, that's a priestly act. He's, he's, he's lifting up a piece of creation and, and, and he's elevating it uh, in, in a sense. And, and he's bringing order back to the disorder of rust and decay and, and, and that sort of thing. You know, I take raw wood, which is dead. It's a dead tree. And, and I'm, bringing, I'm bringing it into a new life, into a glorious life of, of you know, a piece of uh, a useful object, piece of furniture or um, object of art on the, on the shelf, something useful, something beautiful. And it's a celebration of the life of the tree that, that's now dead, you know. So, <laughs> but there's, yeah, I, I think it's more than coping. I, I think that, that man, the priest, is always trying to bring order. 
it's 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 in it's in us it's in us and and that by god's own design uh to to have dominion now it's hard to have dominion over a hurricane or oh yeah and you know we we have no dominion over a pandemic you know when politicians promise we're going to end this thing no 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 you're not going to end this thing this thing will end of itself you know viruses tend to kind of mutate their way you know in and out of things but but you know and god may i'm not counting on it but god god may decide enough's enough but uh historically that's not been the way he rolls but we don't end that. Yeah, I mean, we can be part. We can be part of mitigating. True, you can board up the windows of your house, you can bolt your house to the foundation to prepare it for an earthquake, and you can take certain mitigating measures. Uh, you know, against a, a virus or whatever. You know, wash your hands, etc. But, but in the end, you don't have control over this thing, and and it's that lack of control. And the, the inability for us to bring order out of the chaos, that that's where our inner anxieties come, come in. And that's our most religious place. You know, that's why Jesus said, be anxious about nothing. Your anxiety cannot lengthen your life one day. It might shorten it, I don't know, but, but it's not going to lengthen it a single day. You know, and, and why do you worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what are you going to drink? You know, the pagans worry about that stuff, too, and God gives them. You worry about the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things, which your father knows in advance you need. It will be added to you. But, but do not be anxious about your life, you see, because you're not in control of it. <laughs> God is. And trust is being a good passenger in the passenger seat. Like when my wife drives, I go to sleep. She's a good driver, okay? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nap. I'm going to read a book. I do anything but look at the road. Yeah, there's no point. I can't, I can't keep the car out of the ditch anyway, so why even bother? I'll have to mention that to my wife. <laughs> she, on the other hand, is, a, is, is yeah. Yeah, that's that's a totally different experience. Okay, Why when I'm driving this road, oh, when I I'm driving, <laughs> when I'm driving, it's a continual power struggle of who's actually the driver. But yeah, but. yeah a couple of times I've actually stopped and said, "Are you driving or am I?" <laughs> you know, I, I used to fight it. Now I just give in. You drive. <laughs> you know, and, and, and only when I'm sensing she's getting tired, you know, getting a little road weary, then, oh, I'll take over for a while. And, and then usually she falls asleep because she's tired. But you have to tire her out because otherwise she's the she's she's the pilot in the co-pilot seat. And that's not a good thing. So, no, uh, no. <laughs> but that's what we try to do with God. We try to be pilot in the co-pilot seat, just not working out. Priests are not God. They represent, they image the God they serve. That's what a priest does, okay? so But we're priests who think we're gods. You can be like God, knowing good and evil. See, that's our problem right there. Yeah. Yeah, Adam and Eve. You can Eve, be like uh, God. You can out-God God. You can do a better job at managing this business than God can. And what happens? Anxiety. The liturgy to our false gods, our idols. And so, you know, it's one of the gifts of of times like ours that they reveal our idolatries mm. you know it's revelatory it's kind of painful but i mean i think it, it's much easier just to go yep <laughs> there it is you know it's like it's like when you go to the doctor how do you how much are you gonna how often are you gonna deny the diagnosis till you finally admit you know, you need to lose 50 pounds or your cholesterol's through the roof or, you know, you're flirting with type 2 diabetes, whatever. You can deny this all you want, but sooner or later you got to go, yep. See, mm -hmm. and it's at that moment 
It's at that moment that the anxiety, the whole thing goes away. And and that that perhaps is the is the main problem. And I love that I love that uh, that uh, the verse that you you read from Jesus about you know <laughs> why worry? There's nothing that you can do that will extend your life by an instant. Yeah, you know, he says, he says, you know, God knows the number of hairs on your head, which, you know, in my cases, that's pretty, you know. I, in I my case, my, it's just a few. In, in your case, you know, you could probably, yeah, you could, play, you know, count them and remember them. <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal. But in fact, you probably you give each of them a name, you know, at that point. But, <laughs> oh, no, but, Fred dropped out today. <laughs> but, you know, the the idea is that, that this anxiousness, see, it's it's phony control. It's false control. It's the foot on the brake in the passenger seat. Or like when I was a little kid, they used to plunk me in. This is back in the day when little kids could sit in the front seat of the car. And the kid's seat, get this, had a steering wheel. So you could oh, steer with dad. I you remember know, there's that. Like, there's like a medical emergency waiting to happen, right? So, yeah. you know, this was before they kind of like wrapped you in protective bubble wrap and then, you know, sealed you in the back seat. So they couldn't even, they can't even rescue you if they need to, you know. So, but anyway, but, uh, yeah, so I could drive along with dad. And with a steering wheel. And, you know, when you're a little kid and you got a steering wheel, you honestly think that those motions affect the car. They don't. I mean, they're not connected to anything, but it sure feels like it, doesn't it? You know, yeah. and that's us. That's us. We're like little kids with a phony steering wheel in front of us. And we're, you know, oh, man, I'm doing a great job driving my life. And we're not, you know, and, and a, a year like 2020 is just like a, a beginning to end illustration of how out of control you and i are and, so, and you, you pointed out that this can actually be a gift uh, certainly a learning experience where we can look out and say gee you know i've been looking on at some false idols here see i i don't mind being called an idolater because because it's honest um, you know, it's it's when I denied that I'm an idol. Oh no, no, I worship the true God and serve Him alone. You know, I I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind, and I love my neighbor as I as myself. All these things I've done since my youth. You know, and and here comes God with His life. Ah, you you you're lacking here. Let me show you. <laughs> See, and 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 that's a that's kind of that's kind of like what what a pandemic does. It's you're lacking here. Let me show you. Okay. Okay, now that I have your attention, um, you know, and, and it could be very superficial, like, you know, how much we, we rely on entertainment to get us through, you know, the sports, the movies, the celebrities, blah, blah, blah. Or it, it may be, um, you know, I find it amazing that, that people's spiritual lives, my own included, have kind of, they've kind of gone fallow, dry in many ways, when really they should be heightened, you know, we should be... We should be more fervent in prayer. They, these are all end time signs. These are, you know, signs of the, these are the birth pangs of the new creation. We ought to be, we ought to be really in a sort of like the Advent's going to be awesome. I'm just saying Advent is going to be an awesome season this year or not. Maybe we'll just say, oh, let's just go straight to Christmas. We need this, don't we? <laughs> no, we need a good repentance is what we need. See? So I don't mind. I don't mind knowing that I'm an idolater. It's it's the truth. The truth. The truth will never. It may hurt, but it will never hurt you. Truth well, hurts, but it'll never hurt you in the long run. I'm acutely aware that I'm a sinner. I think all 
all Lutherans are aware of that. In a, in, a, in a polite sort of Sunday morning generic sense of the word, I am poor, miserable sinner, but not nearly as bad as the guy next to me, and I know a thing or two. Well, I haven't and certainly not as bad as right. certainly not as bad as that opposing uh, political party that I know about. You know, so. <laughs> notice notice how I stay very carefully out of you know any kind of partisan statement yeah. there, but because no, we all it. feel that way, the other guy is always evil. You know, <laughs> that that's it. it. It makes hating him justified see, because he's evil. Well, you know, I look at I look at my late brother. Uh, he and I could not have been more different in our politics. Uh, we learned eventually not to discuss it with one another, but we remained brothers all the way through his death. And uh, that's that's where we recognize that the other guy's not evil. Uh, he may have called me a stupid a stupid uh, Nazi, <laughs> and he did repeatedly. Uh, but but that was that was him teasing. Uh, yeah, well, oh yeah, it was, it was spoken in love, certainly. Uh, <laughs> one of my tests, one of my tests for the, and and we probably would have talked about this before Thanksgiving had it been a normal Thanksgiving, where the advice is, you know, eat whatever they put in front of you, shut up, and don't talk about religion or politics, right? Mm. Um, Unless you spoil the big family brouhaha. But, you know, the the thing is, it, it's one of my litmus tests for an ideologue. And an ideologue can be of any party or persuasion. Okay. Uh, an ideologue is, is we might we might term them extremists. These are the ones, or I, I sometimes call them wingnuts. They're, they're the ones, they're the ones at the far end of the spectrum either way. But, but a test for ideology is, is can you tolerate uh, the presence and the hearing of an opposing viewpoint, mm -hmm. or does this set you off? Um, you know, I know of people, both, uh, you know, all persuasions, who cannot be in the same room as somebody who would vote for whomever. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You know, or or they, will, they, will, they will disown them from the family. Oh, yeah. And that, to me, is a diagnosis, just as anxiety is a diagnosis of idolatry. Uh, this kind of intolerance is, is a uh, diagnosis of ideology. And it's, ideology is a false religion. It's deeply it, sinful. To, to well, it's, 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 you know, and this isn't like a, a dictionary definition or, or yeah, this is just, this is Bill Swirla, okay? But, but uh, ideology is an idea that's been taken, blown into a religion. It's, it's taken to a religious level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, be it, be it, uh, yeah, anything can be that. Any, anything. And so it becomes the center thing, the most important thing, the thing that governs everything. And, and again, it's about control. See, and one of the things I have to control as an ideologue, I got to control you, because mm. you got to agree with me, or I got to deal with you. I can kill you. I can re-educate you. I can, uh, I do something, but but I've got to control you because opposing ideas need to be controlled. Control's the name of the game. Um, you know, I I think one of the great life lessons of 2020 is is to re-examine and rethink our relationship to control because anxiety is pointing us in that direction anxiety is that little barometer that says oh you just discovered you're not in control and you don't like it do you see and uh, <clears throat> we we all uh, suffer from hubris i think and to suddenly realize that it's wrong that we really don't <laughs> we don't really have that
it's devastating. What's devastating? Well, when when you think, as I said, with hubris, where you have this 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 belief this um, this belief that is not founded in truth that that you have this this thing that that uh, well you... hu- hubris hubris very often hubris is arrogance yeah. boastfulness you know but but that's very often a defensive wall the the the, the most arrogant people i know are the most insecure people <laughs> cuz they know deep down in that 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 dark that that deep hidden place at the core of their being they know it's all a fraud <laughs> yeah, they know it. They know it's smoke and mirrors. It's plywood and two by fours. They know, but but they don't. They don't want you to know that they know. <laughs> and I- and so you you put up this big wall of bravado so that nobody nobody can get close enough to examine the the fakery, the phoniness of it all. One of my favorite retorts to someone when I. I read in the uh, I read in the blogs or what have you, where a person is defending a point that is absolutely indefensible. Is is that uh, I'm saying? You know, this is spoken with all the assurance of the profoundly ignorant. <laughs> well, there is a kind of um, what's the, it's it's the uh, I forgot the name of it. there's a there's a it's a hyphenated name where the the less you know about something, the more confident you are that you are right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they've actually so measured. <laughs> they, 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 there's a, they have they have studied it. Yeah. They've named it. The two guys who discovered it named it, and the name has slipped my mind now. But but uh, it begins. I think it begins with a K. But um, but they, and they did it by by um, administering exams, and then right after the exam, asking the people, "How'd you do?" And the people who knew very little and scored very poorly said, so "Aced it." Man, I just I smoked it. I I did great, and they were mortified to find that they did so poorly. The people who actually knew a thing or two said, "No, oh, not so good. I, I really wasn't prepared for that." And they did great, you know. And and so, the more you know, the less confident you are. The less you know, the more confident you are. <laughs> and that plays out on the internet and social media every single day. It's just it's it's kind of the way it goes. But, well, hey, think- before. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say. I think maybe the road to wisdom is is the realization of uh, you you're you're learning. You know what you don't know. Well, that's important. Um, knowing what you don't know, the unknown unknowns, or knowing that you don't know that you don't know. To sound, it kind of sounds like Donald Rumsfeld in his day, but <laughs> but uh, um, you know, for me, the key passage is not only the words of our Lord. Sermon on the Mount, which I was paraphrasing, but but this this little business at the end of Philippians four, or the in Philippians four, where Paul says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I'll say it, rejoice. That's in case you're hard of hearing and missed me the first time, right? Yeah. Uh, Let all men know your patience, your forbearance. Okay, the Lord is at hand. So that's the reason for rejoicing. The Lord is near. Um, have no anxiety about anything. There's there's that anxiety thing. But in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And again, I credit Kenneth Corby with this insight. He, he always said, this, notice it says with thanksgiving. Pray to God. Tell him what you want. Tell him what's bothering you. Tell him what's causing your anxiety. And give him thanks for the very thing you're praying about. So if you're anxious about being sick, thank him for the illness because it brought you to prayer. 
You know, if you're anxious about your finances, thank him for your poverty and unemployment and pray for a job. But you have to you have to begin with the circumstances that drove you to prayer because that's where the gift of God is found, you see. And so all these things, the the politics, the pandemic, the the whatever, you know, the injustice or whatever whatever people are anxious about. Before anything else, thank God for the circumstances that have brought us to where we are. And then let your requests be made known to God. And here's the promise. Not that God is going to take this away from you. Not that God's going to fix every boo-boo in your life. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus where they belong. Those are my words at the end. So in other words, peace, that's the promise. So I like to say that prayer is like a machine it converts anxiety into peace hmm. it's god god does it we don't do it god is the that's god's machine prayer i mean we pray but it's god's machine he stirs up prayers by his spirit he hears our prayer he acts on them he promised to hear them but anxiety is converted to peace transcendent peace peace in our hearts and minds through prayer and i think if we're you know so you know a conversation like this has got to end on that note. Are you anxious about anything? Pray. With Thanksgiving. With Thanksgiving. Try it. Thank God for the pandemic. What a great pandemic it was. This is a pandemic better than most pandemics that human history has seen. Actually not. It's not nearly as bad as the Black Plague of the Middle Ages or even the Spanish Flu of 1918. But it's bad. It's bad. But give thanks to God because he has exposed our idolatries and he's laid open our anxieties and now he's going to convert them to peace <laughs> well you know a lot of it depends on introspection uh, a person has to stand back and look at what am I anxious about and actually answer those questions and before actually making the prayer and I would I would beg to differ I would say that it's precisely in prayer that one is asking that question in the right way. There is no precursor to prayer. You know, it's like people say, well, I'll pray when I'm kind of feeling prayerful. Well, that's good. You'll never pray. Uh, it's a devil's trick. You know, uh, I'll, I'll go to church when I'm feeling spiritual. Uh, you won't. Don't worry. Um, but, but, uh, but no, prayer is the means by which God reveals these things to us. Prayer is not a means of grace, but it is a means. It's the means by which anxiety is converted to peace. Um, but it's it's the, it's in that conversation with God, in that 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 hiddenness of the heart. You know, where 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 the anxious heart reaches out to God, and God hears it, and He absorbs the anxiety. He says, "Bring it, give it to me, give it to me," and and He replaces it with peace. See, and and it's God's word that discerns this for us introspection gets us nowhere um it's it's god that needs to be at work in us not we peering inside of ourselves no good in there <laughs> that's that's not gonna <laughs> no well you know what i'm saying so so don't don't go meditate in your navel before you pray pray <laughs> okay well speaking of praying we're in the last uh, 30 seconds or so of the program any final thoughts I don't know. It's hard to top that thought, isn't it? Just pray without ceasing with thanksgiving, and God has promised you peace. Peace. <laughs> and bear in mind that it's all really a blessing. You just have to look at it properly, I guess. 
you've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.